0: Hi everybody, it's Derek, uh, and this is your Foreign Exchange's World News Roundup for Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Uh, Just to lead off with a little programming note, I am taking... Uh, The Memorial Day weekend off uh, starting tomorrow. This will be our last uh, roundup until Tuesday. Uh, We'll be back to normal. This is not so much for the holiday itself as because I just need a break. Uh, So I uh, do thank you for your indulgence in that regard. And uh, let's get on with tonight's roundup. Uh, There's a few anniversaries. On May 25th, 1521, the Diet of Worms, an assembly that was called by Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in response to the growing Protestant or Protestant reform movement led by Martin Luther, culminated with the Edict of Worms. In that proclamation, Charles declared Luther, quote, a notorious heretic, end quote, and promised that, quote, those who will help in his capture will be rewarded generously for their good work, end quote. Uh, A plan to arrest Luther... Uh, who had previously testified before the Diet and was on his way home to Wittenberg, was thwarted by Frederick III, the elector of Saxony, who kidnapped, uh, for lack of a better word, I suppose, Luther, and stashed him at Wartburg Castle for his own safety. Luther remained there until the following March, spent his time writing and translating the New Testament into German, uh, while his reform movement escalated into a full-blown schism and Protestantism Began to separate from the Catholic Church, and we all lived happily ever after. Uh, On May 25th, 1946, the British Mandate of Transjordan gained independence as the Hashemite Kingdom of Transjordan with the crowning of Emir Abdullah I as king. May 25th is annually commemorated in Jordan as Independence Day. Uh, and on May 25, 1981, leaders from Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates signed the Gulf Cooperation Council Charter in Abu Dhabi, formally marking the birth of the Gulf Cooperation Council. The GCC was intended to streamline political and economic relations between the six Gulf Arab states with a potential for tighter unification down the road. It has led to the creation of a Gulf Customs Union and a number of joint infrastructure projects, but big plans regarding monetary union and increased re- regional cohesion, uh, have been somewhat undermined by intra-GCC uh, tensions. But largely speaking, I'd say, uh, you know, they formed the GCC. And, and again, we all lived happily ever after. Uh, <laughs> moving on uh, to the news, in the Middle East, and Turkey... Uh, there is a new Almonitor premise poll that puts Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and challenger Kamal Kilic in a statistical tie heading into their big runoff on Sunday with Erdogan at 40% support and Kilic at 39% with 15% undecided. Now, uh, I talk a lot about polls here because it's sort of... Uh, you know, they they make news, whether they're accurate or not, uh, when they come out, they are newsworthy. Uh and I try not to get into this sort of unskewing the polls discourse. Uh, that you sometimes find uh, around the internet. But this is pretty weird. This is pretty, just a pretty weird result. There's no logical reason to believe that 15% of the Turkish electorate is suddenly undecided less than two weeks after that same electorate nearly handed Erdogan a first-round victory. um, It's possible, I guess, that there's some sudden influx of people who didn't vote in the first round who are breaking uh, for Kilis Darlu or who are dead set on voting, even though they have no idea who they're going to vote for. Uh, It just strikes me as very weird. I, I mention it here only in the sense that anything can happen, and just to note that the runoff is indeed coming on Sunday. Uh, In the United Arab Emirates, uh, there's a new Reuters piece that looks at Russian customs records uh, and identifies a few beneficiaries of Western sanctions on Russian gold. Uh, I'll read you just a couple of paragraphs here. The records, which contain details of nearly a thousand gold shipments in the years since the Ukraine war started, show the Gulf state, that's the UAE, uh, importing 75.7 tons uh, of Russian gold worth $4.3 billion dollars. Uh, Up from just 1.3 tons... During 2000 or during 2021, Uh, China and Turkey were the next biggest destinations, importing about 20 tons each. This is metric tons between February 24, 2022, 2022 and March 3rd 2023. With the UAE, the three countries accounted for 99.8 percent of the Russian gold exports in the customs data for this period. In the days after the Ukraine conflict started, many multinational banks, logistics providers, and precious metal refiners stopped handling Russian gold, which had typically been shipped to London a gold trading and storage hub, the London Bullion Market Association banned Russian bars made from March seventh, 2022. Uh, and by the end of August, Britain, the European Union, Switzerland, the United States, Canada and Japan had all banned imports of Russian bullion. But at least uh, the UAE, China and Turkey are, are making out good for them, I suppose. That's hard to make a buck, you know, you, you got to do what you can. In Iran, the Iranian defense ministry declared on Thursday that it had successfully tested a new ballistic missile with a 2,000-kilometer range and the capacity to carry a 1,500-kilogram warhead. The new weapon is called Khaibar, which is a not-so-veiled reference to Israel as it refers to the Khaibar Oasis in the Arabian Peninsula, where Mohammed and his followers besieged a Jewish tribe in the year 628. Uh, the maximum range would put all of Israel comfortably within this missile's reach. Under the circumstances, and if you've been keeping up with the newsletter. This week, you know, there is some controversy about Iran building a new nuclear facility. The unveiling of this missile is likely to increase regional tensions. Um, I guess that's sort of a given when it comes to the Middle East, but still not great news. Uh, on to Asia and Afghanistan. The director of the Norwegian Refugee Council, Jan Egelin, told the AP on Thursday that he's close to getting Taliban leaders to allow women in Afghanistan's Kandahar province to resume working for humanitarian relief organizations. This would be a partial reversal of a ban the Taliban imposed back in December. And if it takes hold in Kandahar, which is the Taliban's religious center, there's every reason to believe the policy change would be extended to the rest of the country. Uh, We are very much in believe it when you see it territory, but reversing the ban would be a major development in terms of boosting humanitarian aid. In Cambodia, the opposition candlelight party has lost the appeal it filed over the country's uh, elections board's uh, decision, uh, which we mentioned in, uh, I believe, the May 15th newsletter, to bar it from standing in July's general election. This ensures that the ruling Cambodian People's Party will be essentially unchallenged on the ballot. July's election is noteworthy in that long-serving Prime Minister Hun Sen has hinted at the possibility that he could retire afterward, presumably turning things over to his son, Hun Menate. In South Korea... Uh, According to the Wall Street Journal, Ukraine is about to receive an influx of hundreds of thousands of South Korean-made 155-millimeter artillery rounds, breaching Seoul's policy heretofore of only providing non-lethal support to Kiev. Uh, The South Korean Defense Ministry insists that the report contains, quote-unquote, inaccuracies and that the lethal assistance policy has not changed. But this may be a question of semantics, as technically, per the Wall Street Journal, the South Koreans are giving the shells to the U.S., and it's the U.S whose own stockpile of 155mm shells has been severely depleted in service of the Ukrainian war effort. Uh, It is the U.S. that would technically be sending those shells to Ukraine. Uh, The U.S. has been thinking about sending Ukraine cluster bombs, which could fill the same basic military niche uh, as the 155mm shells, but are far more dangerous to civilians because of a high dud rate. That means many of them do not go off when they're supposed to and are later happened upon by uh, unwitting civilians who wind up becoming their victims. Uh, But uh, this South Korean shipment will apparently delay a decision on the cluster bomb front. On to Africa and Sudan, it seems like the parties to Sudan's ongoing, and I use that term loosely, ceasefire, are committed to insisting that it is still active, even though there's little evidence of that on the ground. The U.S. State Department is still talking about ceasefire violations as though they were discrete events, when in reality there were reports of widespread fighting in and around Khartoum, as well as in several parts of the Darfur region. The fighting has apparently been serious enough to prohibit efforts to bring humanitarian relief to civilians trapped in those areas, which was, in point of fact, supposed to be the goal of the ceasefire. The Biden administration has threatened to sanction senior figures in the Sudanese military and the Rapid Support Forces, but either they're not particularly concerned about being sanctioned or, as has been speculated, they don't have much meaningful control over their own rank and file." In Libya, that country's government of national unity, which is based in the western part of the country, ironically, for a government called the government of national unity, it's one of two governments in Libya, Uh, It said on Thursday that its air force... Uh, had carried out strikes against what it described as criminal trafficking gangs in the city of Zawiya. The GNU isn't known to have an air force at its disposal, uh, but it does have drones, courtesy of the Turkish government, so perhaps that's what they meant. Although Zawiya is a western city, there are militias there that support the GNU's rival government, which is based in eastern Libya, so it's also possible that this whole criminal trafficking allegation uh, is not entirely accurate and that there's something more uh, kind of fundamentally political involved here. In Mali, the Biden administration on Thursday blacklisted Ivan Alexandrovich Maslov, a man it described as the head of the Wagner Group's operations in Mali. Maslov's designation came with a new warning that Wagner's Mali outfit is funneling weapons to Ukraine, for the Russian military, obviously, or for Wagner, I guess, uh, and to the RSF in Sudan. A A statement from the Russian foreign ministry described this claim as a hoax, and there's been no comment from Wagner as far as... I know. Uh, In Europe, in Russia, uh, the AP reports that the exodus of Western companies from Russia is starting to run into resistance and, in some cases, even beginning to reverse. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from their piece. Increasingly, Russia has put hurdles in the way of companies that want out, requiring approval by a government commission, and in some cases from President Vladimir Putin himself, while imposing painful discounts and taxes on sale prices. Though companies' stories vary, a common theme is having to thread an obstacle course between Western sanctions and outraged public opinion on one side, and Russia's efforts to discourage and penalize departures on the other. Some international brands, such as Coke and Apple, are trickling in informally through third countries despite a decision to exit. Many companies are simply staying put, sometimes citing responsibility to shareholders or employees or legal obligations to local franchisees or partners. Others argue they're providing essentials like food, farm supplies, or medicine, and some say nothing. Elsewhere, the Russian foreign ministry announced on Thursday that it's closing the Russian consulate in the Swedish city of Gothenburg uh, and the Swedish consulate uh, in St. Petersburg, while uh, expelling five Swedish diplomatic staffers from Russia. The move comes in retaliation for the Swedish government's expulsion of five Russian diplomatic staffers last month. Russian authorities also announced the arrest of two Ukrainians and two Russians in connection with an alleged plot to destroy power lines at Russia's Leningrad and Kaliningrad linen nuclear plants. Uh, Russian officials are pointing a finger at Ukrainian intelligence services. In Belarus, the Russian and Belarusian governments on Thursday finalized an agreement to deploy Russian tactical nuclear weapons on Belarusian soil, so they've got that going for them, which is nice. Uh, The deal, which seems more about showing off Russia's nuclear arsenal than any real tactical or strategic benefit, will see Russia construct a storage facility for those nukes in Belarus. Moscow says it will retain ultimate control over the weapons. In uh, several stories from Ukraine, uh, as promised, the Wagner group appears to be in the process of withdrawing from Bakhmut and handing control of the city off to the Russian military. Wagner boss Yevgeny Prigozhin, who claims he lost 20,000 fighters taking Bakhmut, said his men will redeploy to the rear of the Russian line, but could re-enter the city if necessary. According to Reuters, some 40 cargo vessels are stuck in Istanbul awaiting inspection under the Black Sea Grain Initiative. They may be bound for the Ukrainian port of Pivdenyi, which Ukrainian officials, you may remember from earlier this week, accused Russia of essentially blockading. Uh, The slowdown is severely impacting grain exports and may be Moscow's way of undermining the initiative over its various grievances regarding Western sanctions without formally scrapping it. Uh, the deputy director of Ukraine's military intelligence service, a man named Vadim Skibitsky, for some unfathomable reason, decided to tell German media on Thursday that Kiev is actively trying to assassinate Russian President Vladimir Putin. This is the sort of thing that isn't terribly surprising, but is probably better left unsaid. Uh, Russian officials dismissed any threat to Putin's life, but also seized on Skibitsky's comments to reinforce their claims that the Ukrainian government is a, quote, terrorist regime, end quote, that poses a national security threat to Russia. Uh, And the Biden administration is reportedly set to unveil another $300 million tranche of military aid for Ukraine, possibly Friday, but more likely after the Memorial Day holiday. This block of aid will again focus on uh, primarily ammunition, uh, including more guided multiple rocket launch rockets. Excuse me for Ukraine's HIMARS units. Uh, meanwhile, uh, amid the rush to equip Ukraine with F-16 aircraft, the Swedish government is reportedly considering a Ukrainian request to try out its JAS-39 Gripen or Gripen. I'm not sure aircraft. Uh, right now, they're only talking about letting Ukrainian pilots try the craft in a training context. In the Americas, in Peru, the Peruvian Congress voted on Thursday to declare Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador persona non grata for criticizing the ouster and arrest of former Peruvian President Pedro Castillo back in December and for referring to Castillo's replacement, Dina Boluarte, as a uh, quote-unquote usurper. AMLO joins Colombian President Gustavo Petro and former Bolivian President Evo Morales, both of whom have been similarly critical of Castillo's treatment on Peru's not-welcome list. Uh, And finally, uh, there is a piece uh, from World Politics Review's Adi Darnal. Uh, that looks at washington 's deeply misguided approach to interacting with the global south i'll just read you the first couple of paragraphs as u.s u.s officials focus on countering China and Russia both in their respective immediate neighborhoods and in other regions where their influence is rising washington 's policy community is taking a new look at u.s relations with the global south these conversations tend to focus on two main questions how does engaging with these smaller states advance u.s interests and why are many global south countries ambivalent toward the us and Reluctant to follow its lead. Given the strategic importance for the U.S. of these countries, the fact that these conversations about the Global South are taking place is encouraging. But that they focus on these questions also demonstrates how little U.S. leaders, policymakers, and the wider public understand the majority world, as some like to call the Global South. As a result of this knowledge deficit, political actors in the U.S. tend to base their analysis and decisions on assumptions which are often proven to be wrong. This is particularly problematic for two reasons. First, the lack of knowledge and flawed reasoning about these countries fuels U.S. hubris, which is expressed in the belief that, as Hal Brands put it in a recent op-ed, the, quote, global South owes America some thanks, end quote. Second ignorance about the global south also contributes to a lack of urgency in reforming the international order which currently reflects and perpetuates deep inequalities affecting most global South countries that must be addressed uh, it's a it's a good piece uh, if you're uh, if you're subscribed to world politics review and again I, I always recommend uh, if you're able to uh, to do that uh, definitely definitely do check that out uh, on that note again uh, I'm gonna be uh, kind of going away for a couple of days not not completely going away but uh, taking a uh, break and uh, I do want to thank all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter and uh, especially thanks to those of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers uh, paid foreign exchanges subscribers in particular who make this newsletter possible until next time which uh, again will be Tuesday uh, so be on the lookout for that uh, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. And happy Memorial Day uh, if you're in the U.S. and, and celebrating, uh, and uh, otherwise, just hope everybody has a has a great weekend. And uh, I'll be in touch soon. Bye bye.